With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, everybody? And welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up. And bet along with all of March Madness, all of the fun. You could be like Superstar Dev and bet against the CSU Rams and make money off of everybody else's misery. I would not do that. Superstar Dev would. I'm joined today by the man, the myth, the legend, George Carl. George, it's good to see you. St. Patty's Day. Happy St. Patty's Day. I've been been crazy on St. Patty's Day before. (laughs) You got a little bit hard hard before. I I can kind of remember a couple cities. New York. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where's the best city for St. Patty's Day? New York's pretty good. Boston's probably a little better. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Milwaukee was good. Yeah. All right. There you go. Um, hopefully we have a good one here at the DNBR bar. We've, of course, got March Madness going on, so we got games all day, including George Carl's Tar Heels. How are you feeling about the Tar Heels in the tournament? I'm hoping to win a couple games. I'm hoping to get maybe the Elite Eight. Uh, but to do that, you gotta be, uh, you got to go down and beat uh, B- Baylor. Yeah. I'm not sure about that one, but Carolina beating Duke, I, 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 was, I thought that was a great win for the, the kids who have had up and down year. Uh, and they seem like they got some confidence going. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth, which in a, in a playoff game is, you probably need some depth. And I, yeah. I don't know if they have enough. Did you, I mean, I know obviously the Duke rivalry, Coach K's last game, was it? How did you feel watching that game with, with Carolina running away with it in Coach K's send-off? Was I it- thought it was tremendous for – I mean, I, I, I thought it was good for the program. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, every, I mean, we're all trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, Coach, Coach Williams and Coach Gutheridge and Coach Smith, and we love Hubert. We want to help Hubert. Uh, but, you know, the last couple of years haven't been easy either. Right. Uh, so, you know, we're – we're trying to get back to that top echelon of top 10 college basketball programs in the world. And I, I, I have all the confidence in the world we will. Um, I want to get in. First of all, I want to remind everybody that George Carl has his media arm, Truth and Media, that is continuing to expand his empire. We're expanding our empire here at All City. He's expanding his empire with Truth and Media, adding new shows and, and new things going on. So you want to check that out, including the Truth and Basketball podcast. I want to get into this 76ers. Guess where I want to start? A big game. Nuggets 76ers. I don't know. It was a big game because both teams were kind of sliding and they needed to win. But it was a big emotional game because it was the MVP battle. The two favorites to win MVP, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. 
How do you feel that matchup went between those two guys? And, how, and what did you take away from watching those two teams go up against each other? Um, I thought both teams were missing something. Um, I, I did not, you know, the first couple games the 76ers played with Harden, it was impressive. But since then, I don't think it's been that impressive. Uh, Denver has won, what, 13 out of 15 games. And what's funny about it is I don't really look at it. You know, I, I'm happy they won them. But Minnesota's won 13 out of 15 yeah. games. Denver, I mean, Dallas has won right. 12 out of 14 games. So um, I think they're doing what they have to do. And uh, now, of course, the rumor of getting players back. It'll be an interesting, you know, finish. I think it's going to go come down to April. April 1st and 7th, and then the two games against the Lakers. Is Anthony Davis coming back? Right. Because if the Lakers are difficult, those games become difficult. Right. I mean, if Davis comes back, they become more difficult to beat. And there's two there. And um, it's going to be really close. I mean, it's going to be really, really close. But I'm going to say this now. I know we'll probably talk about it later. I don't think Golden State's playing very well. And I don't think, I think they've hyped their success more than I think they've earned. And I think they have injury problems all over the place. Right. I do want to hold on to that, though, because I want to arrive at those later. I want to stick on this Embiid-Jokic matchup because you've been a pretty vocal fan of Jokic. Like You really appreciate his style. I mean, Embiid's a fantastic player as well, and I just... That game was so interesting to me because you kind of saw the different approaches between those two players, both impactful players. But I'm just curious what you thought about the head-to-head. It was an emotional game for both guys, I thought. You could tell both guys kind of wanted it. Just how did you, analyzing both of those two in their head-to-head matchup? I mean, Embiid is more skilled than, I mean, Embiid's in the top five of all skilled athletic bigs to play in the game of basketball. Um, but he doesn't produce winning and he doesn't produce making guys better like Jokic does. And to me, Jokic in that game does what he always does. He led his team to a win. He didn't have to be dominating. He was damn good. Triple-double, I believe. And, And Embiid was skilled and very talented. And if you're looking at highlights, you're saying more impressive. But the whole thing comes, we played a game to win. And winning that game on the road, I think, showed exactly what I've said all year, all year long. Is Jokic is the most valuable player. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know. I know, we gotta, I know the league likes to give it to different players and different people. Share the honor. But... Maybe change the title. <laughs> the most fun player this year, or the guy we like most this year. Well, I actually think the NBA might be arriving at getting it closer to being the most valuable player. Because I think for years it has been just the best player on the top team, or, you know, whatever. Like, just they, there's been these little check marks that have been easy. I think people are starting to ask themselves that very question what's valuable? How do we, how do we measure value? And it's hard. Every, you, you could argue with another all-time great coach about that very thing, and you both could have great points. I think it's very tough to, to really come right. to a consensus. 
But I actually think that when you look at this, Jokic has made up a lot of ground in the conversation. And I think it's for a lot of what you're saying is, did it look pretty? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But just look at the results. They keep winning. And I think when you, I, I think that game more than any kind of highlighted that of this team has a soul to it. And that soul is centered in Jokic and his sort of personality and style of play. And is no is low maintenance, no nonsense about. I mean, Embiid angers me with how his body his body language and his, you know, he he doesn't have the balance that mm. Jokic has in a game of basketball. Now, don't get me wrong; he's going to get it someday. But um, Jokic is more mature and more experienced, and makes good play. Makes average players good, makes good players better, and makes great players special. Yeah. With James Harden's an interesting one because they, the 76ers team, to your point, they had big games, statement games against Brooklyn and against Denver. Those were games where it's like, let's see who you really are. Let's see. And, and I think they failed both tests, honestly, getting blown out by Brooklyn, but then collapsing and blowing a 20-point lead against Denver. Do you look at that team and think that they have some soul-searching, not talent, but soul-searching about the things that really matter? What I like about the NBA right now is I don't think anybody has a dominant basketball team. Mm. The only team that has shown that in this season is Phoenix. Right. And I really think it's going to show up in the playoffs. I know we're going to excited about these next 12 games. It's so true. It's so true. But I, I still don't think we're going to be much different than we are now until maybe the second round of the playoffs. And it might even go to the third round of the playoffs before you're going to say, that's the team. That's the team you got to worry about. I think in the playoffs it will manifest itself. And you're right. There's a lot of contenders for it. I mean, Phoenix might be that team. Uh, Milwaukee might turn into that team. They're good enough to. Brooklyn might turn into that team. They're put good ball, you got to put Boston on that list. Boston now. is on the rise. So I do think that you're right, that right now one of those teams or two of, two of those teams are going to rise, and we're going to say, wow, look at how good they, they are when it matters and where they've arrived at. But right now there's just a lot of teams that you say, I think they might. I think they might. But they've shown a lot of, uh, of weakness here. You talked about body language, though, with Joel Embiid. Your opinion about DeMarcus Cousins, or your perspective, I shouldn't say your opinion, your perspective about how negative energy can kill and how he can go to places where that negative energy sort of really shines through. These last two games, he's been fantastic, I think. He was great against Philadelphia. He was great last night against Washington. He was great early on in his Nuggets tenure. There was a little patch there in the middle you know, a week ago or so where I started you know, getting a lot of technicals, not playing well, getting a bunch of fouls where I started, started to see what you were talking about of, hey, it just feels like there's this weight that maybe he's bringing. How do you analyze the body language from him, but also just the energy he brings, both good and bad? Well, the, neg the negative energy is not in the games. The negative oh. energy is in the locker room, in the practice sessions, you know, traveling. I mean, the negative energy comes... But the negative energy, I honestly believe, when I was with him, came because we lost. Mm. I think if we were a winning team, I don't know if it'd be that much of a problem. And I think that's what has come forward, is with him playing on championship teams and trying to win a championship, he realizes that negative energy is, is, is there. Right. And as much as you can keep it out of your locker room, out of your preparation, 
out of your camaraderie and connect, connection on the team. I think it's valuable. And I think DeMarcus playing 15 minutes, he seems like he's accepted it. Yeah, It's okay with him. Uh, now, three years ago, I'm not sure he would have accepted that. Right. But now I think he's accepting that, and he's taken this year to, to try to reinvent himself in the league and, uh, and also try to lift a bench that, that was struggling and now looks like they found themselves. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is uh, the green kid off the bench has been playing much better. But the veteran experience of, of Rivers, Green, and DeMarcus. and DeMarcus, along with two young guys, and kind of run up and down and, and, and feel good about shooting the ball. Forbes is a bit of, I mean, he's a veteran. He's been around six, seven years. Right. He's in the Spurs system. So he's kind of a veteran, too. The guy you're talking about that's young is Bones Highland. Right. And I, I'm curious if your perspective has changed at all about whether or not he can be a playoff player. Obviously, it's going to be difficult. Their teams are going to game plan for his weaknesses, this or that. But I think he has been a really good player over the last seven or eight games. Like, he's started to come into his the best version of himself. Do you feel at all more confident that he can be a playoff impact, play, positive impact player in the playoffs? I think he'll be useful in the playoffs. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble saying he's going to be a positive. Mm. I think he's going to be up and down. I think he's yeah. going to be good and bad. Wild I, think card. Going to be, I think he's going to be games. He's going to be, he's going to be in the top two or three reasons why you won. And then the next game is going to be one of the two or three reasons why you lost. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. That process is great. It's happening now. But expecting him to deliver five good games in a seven-game series, I think is uh, that's a little too high. I think you hope for one good game in a seven-game series. I think what you hope for is four or five not bad games. Right. For a young player, and that's I'm just wondering, do you do you feel confident that you could have that he'll have say it's a seven game, go seven games. That only one of those will be a bad game. Like, hey, you know, they targeted him. He, he missed his assignments. He did this. Or do you feel like he's so young, it's still you're probably counting on two, maybe three games out of seven that you might get the bad coin flip? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it, there's going to be multiple reasons why you lose a playoff game. Sure. But your bench, I would almost bet you, your bench is not going to play as many minutes as it does in a regular season game and it does in a playoff game. Right. And Coach Malone will have the ability to manipulate how many minutes Bones gets and what matchups he gets. Right. And I think all those are good. And he has shown that he deserves an opportunity to play. Uh, but, again, if Murray comes back, if Porter Jr. comes back, somebody's minutes has got to go down. Right. And right now, Bones is on the bench. And those are usually guys' minutes who go down. So that's in the next question here. We got reports that Jamal Murray is working out in Grand Rapids and maybe he'll be joining the team next week. I think Michael Porter is even closer than that. 13 games to go. How do you handle them? If you're Michael Malone, how do you handle the reintegration of those players? And is there a player that you look at right now and say that's the easy one to sort of pull out from from the rotation to make room? Uh, my 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 old school mentality is expanding a rotation going into the playoffs doesn't has never shown a lot of success. Mm. I think you can expand your rotation a little bit at home. But trying to do it in every game, I think, can become confusing. 
and can be a, a, neg a negative force. And um, I think you got to try to get Murray back to playing at a high level because he is capable of winning a game. He doesn't even have to play a good game the whole game. He's capable of being a big man in the fourth quarter. I think he's already earned that reputation. Uh, Porter Jr., I don't think he's earned that. He's got to earn his minutes. Bones has got to earn his minutes. Monte Morris has done a great job this year. Guess what? You got to earn your minutes. Really, Monte? I thought he might be, you know, in the, the circle of trust for you. Well, the thing I look at Monte is solid, fundamental, doesn't yeah. make mistakes. Right. And Bones is a wild card. Yeah. They can put twelve on the board in yeah, about five minutes. Yeah. Different, different, different. You know, different situations in the game. I go with Bones. The next game, you might go with Monte. Wow. Is there any chance you would replace an Austin Rivers or a Bryn Forbes for a Monte? Or maybe both of them play, but that means no minutes for an Austin Rivers or a Bryn Forbes. Again, you're talking about two guys, to me, that the anchor of, a little bit the anchor of the three-point shooting has become Forbes. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the guy that's supposed to shoot 45%. Right. And... There's, some, there's more confidence in making shots now than probably all year long. I'm not saying Forbes is the reason, but it seems to be somewhat of the reason. And then you got Rivers, who's kind of the, the, the defensive uh, bulldog. He really is. He's the guy that, okay, who you want me to take, coach? Yep. And so removing one of them, again, it's, I think it's going to be a coaching decision and every game could be different. As a coach, is, I mean, is this an enviable position to be in, or is this like the least favorite an NBA coach can have, bringing guys into a rotation? I mean, is that is that where does that rank on headaches a coach can be dealing with? All of a sudden, I got to work in new guys on short notice and on short order. <clears throat> well, what's what's the thing that's difficult is that you're going to be criticized. <laughs> That's you're so going to piss somebody off. <laughs> that could be true. You're going to piss some players off. You're going to piss some fans off. And a lot of times you piss management off. Yeah. Because they might want this guy and you go with that guy. Right. And if it works, they don't say anything. But if it doesn't work, <laughs> they say something. <laughs> I love that if, if it works, they don't say anything. It's just like implied. Like, yeah, of course, we gave you these guys. Of course you won. That's, that's what we do. Uh, you're getting the personality of front offices a little bit. You're getting it better. <laughs> you got about three or four or five, five years before maybe you'll come over to the truth. <laughs> well, I got to say, you always criticize me for being a little too, you know, like I I'm too optimistic about the Nuggets or this or that. And it's fair. Like, I take that slant on purpose. But the Nuggets are 12-3 and three in their last 15 games, and you're almost dismissive of it. I mean, I feel like the Nuggets have some real – impressive streaks under their belt over this since we last talked where they've won against adversity they've come back from some major deficits and they've showed some grit hasn't been pretty it's not necessarily encouraging for where they're going but i look back at what they did and i think that was a very impressive stretch for a team that was very short-handed and playing a lot of games in a row one playing a lot of games in a row when you play or playing well is what you want okay okay so, you know, let's make sure coaches say that, that, you know, when you're playing well, 
You don't want to practice. You want to play. Right, right. And so the rhythm of, well, they played six games and nine nights. Well, they're playing good. That's good. Yeah, but you look at a guy like, like Aaron Gordon. That affected him. I mean, his body clearly slowed down towards the end of that big stretch he had. So I agree with you about the rhythm, but there's also a cost to it that we saw. I mean, we saw Zeke Naji go down. We saw Jermichael Green miss a game. We saw Will Barton miss a couple games. We saw Aaron Gordon miss a game. All those guys over the stretch we're talking about. So I agree. There's a little and, bit of both. And you really think that it's because of fatigue, or you really think that they might have too many players, and they're resting a guy every once in a while, Opens the window for Bones. Opens the window for DeMarcus. Opens the window for maybe an exploit, like Green playing well now. You know? Yeah. I, I honestly think when they they say Aaron Gordon's out for whatever. You just think it's opportunity. He probably needs a rest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he needs a but rest. But could he have played? I bet she could have. But, hey, Aaron, take this one off, and we're going to give someone up. We'll give Will Barton one off here and there. And all of a sudden... The bench is playing better. There's a purpose there a little bit that sometimes, I don't know, organizations, coaches, players, everybody's hanging on to the not playing card, the, <laughs> the load management card. Well, you know, there's, there's reasons why sometimes players don't play. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being your most impressive thing you've ever seen, one being the most disappointing thing you've ever seen. How would you rank this last 15-game stretch for the Nuggets, this run that the Nuggets are on? Six, seven. Okay. I'm probably a seven, seven and a half, so we're in the same zone. We're just talking about it differently, I suppose. I mean, I mean, I mean look at Minnesota. Yeah. Did you ever expect that to happen? And don't you, you understand, Minnesota might be the best offense in basketball right really, now. Really good offense. And, and... I didn't see that coming. I didn't see a big kid, their big kid, get 60. I kind of saw Edwards was going to be a man someday. But to be a man in his second year is really impressive. And I, I really think the seven, the, the team that's going to finish second could get a very difficult matchup. They definitely. I I'm think not saying Minnesota could beat them, but they could push them. You know what Minnesota has right now? Connection. And I think it's actually really cool to see because I like when a team plays connected. And that's a team that I look at. Brought on Jimmy Butler early. You know, went all in. You know, brought in Thibodeau and really pushed that team and had some success. They made the playoffs. But I almost feel like the young core of that group has almost had to hit a reset. And they are in this process now of figuring out. Carl Anthony Towns is figuring it out in a way that you wish it would have happened three or four years ago for him. But I feel like those are important things. And I look at that locker room now, and I think those guys play for each other. They seem to take pride in each other's successes. And I look at that team, and I think they were always talented. They're starting to figure out the secrets. Well, but I think they're, ble they're believing in the structure. Yeah. And in each other now more than I've ever seen it. And I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of rooting for Memphis in Minnesota. That's a fun matchup. I think it would be an unbelievable matchup. A lot of young talent in that one. That would be line. the one matchup that I would want to watch. I'm rooting for it, too, because it means Denver is in the sixth seed and doesn't have to deal with the play-in, which is a big mystery now. Talking about connection, I think Denver has good connection right now. It's probably not on the level of a Minnesota, but I think they do. What are some teams that you think around the league right now that when you watch them, you say, they, they seem connected to me. They play connected. 
the team has been very impressive in an exact opposite. I, I hated watching them play earlier in the year. It's the Boston Celtics. Right, yeah. Their defense now is first class. Yeah. If I had to rank a defensive team right now, I'd say Boston might be the best defensive team. Golden State, they, they're going to be good defensively, but they don't have that great defensive mentality that they had in the past, in my opinion. I don't think Clay is there, and I don't think Draymond is there. Now, will they get there? Maybe. But their injuries might be so significant, Yeah. and they don't have Iguodala. Yeah. Iguodala has always been their glue guy at the defensive end of the court, and they don't got, they don't have that in their personality now. Yeah. Uh, Steve. Oh, so other teams that are connected. I mean, I think Memphis plays pretty connected. I mean, that's a group that is that is pretty together. I think Golden State does play connected. You're right about their defensive impact. I'm not talking about impact. Like Brooklyn Nets are a really good team. I don't know that they're necessarily connected. They're just very very talented. There are these teams, but I, I would throw Memphis. I would throw Golden State. I would throw Minnesota. Even Dallas, I don't think. Dallas has played more connected over this last 10-game stretch, but I think they're also just a talent team um, that plays good defense. But that might be my list. I look at Philadelphia. My, Miami's connected. Miami plays connected, I think. You know, I've caught Miami when they've played awful. <laughs> You've seen some bad samples. You know, again, sometimes when Jimmy Butler doesn't play, I don't, I don't see the Miami's magic. Mm. I think Jimmy Butler has to play for them, even though some of their young kids are growing up. Um, uh, I, 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 I can't put them on that list. Um, I think Miami's an upset team early in the season because they rely on making shots so much. Well, we might have Brooklyn-Miami as a 1-8 matchup in the Eastern Conference just the way it shakes out, which is insane to think. That's the toughest 1-8 matchup, I think, in the history of 1-8 matchups. <clears throat> yeah, you can see that. You can see, uh, you know, you can see the Phoenix versus the Clippers or Phoenix versus the Lakers Yeah, in that possibility. The Lakers, yeah. I, I was a LeBron fan for a while. I mean, I like, great, I like basketball. I like to see the greats. I'm so disappointed in the way LeBron has handled this last month of basketball. How do you like his body language? Worst I've ever seen of a great player. I've never seen a great player. But body language is only uh, half yeah, of it. Yeah, you should go back and look at Rick Barry a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's, that's before my time. I've met him a few times, actually. Um, but his, it's also just effort, like winning plays. You talk about winning plays. I honestly question this as kind of an unfair thing as an outsider, but I honestly question what his motivation is because I think it's to set a scoring record. For him. Everything, yes. Everything else be damned. Because you watch him on some of these plays where he's guarding a guy. It, does, it takes 1% effort to improve on what he's been doing. Well, I, I, just, I, just, I, just, I get lost because I've always thought he is a, a great. He wanted the offense to have efficiency to it. And he's gravitated to taking bad shots and tough shots mm, more than ever in his basketball career. Interesting. And now it seems amongst the superstars like Kevin Durant and LeBron and Kyrie and, and some of the guys in Boston and a little bit Steph. And, you know, you got you to make tough shots. Right, right. You got to show that you can make tough shots. Well, the great players, sometimes you play a game, you don't have to make any tough shots. Right. You just play basketball together and you find good shots. Uh, I know. I think LeBron's given in to that a little bit. He has always been a coach's dream to get efficient, effective shots every time down the court. 
Now he takes as many bad shots as anybody on his team. Yeah. If I, I want to, before we go to break, I want to ask one more. You didn't watch the Kyrie Irving we were talking before. You didn't see the, the highlight reel of his 60-point game. To me, it was one of the better single-game highlight reels I've ever seen. And it's the exact thing you're talking about. It was an incredible amount of tough shots. Now, Make, made tough shots. Made tough shots. And just perfect footwork. Here's a hot take, a really hot take I have for you, but I think I actually believe it. There's so many different ways to be great at basketball. That's why I love the sport. Like, you could be great at the technical aspect of it. You could be great at the cerebral aspect of it. You could be great at the heart aspect of it. All of those things make an impact. Kyrie might have mastered the technical part of it. Just I'm just talking about footwork, touch, you know, all the different ways you can score a basket. He might have mastered it as well as just about anybody <coughs> I've ever seen play it. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, those guys mastered footwork. Kyrie might be right up there. Now, he's really, he scores really low on some of these other parts of the game, but when I watch what he did in that game, I think there was no flaws in the footwork. There were no flaws in the moves he, he, he used to get open for his shots. Well, you know what I've seen is the night they played Harden, and I saw him play defense. Yeah. Like an angry man. Right, right. And then I saw him almost kind of say to Harden, that everybody thinks you're a great one-on-one player and you're not even in my class. Right, right. And then there's Durant. And in a subconscious way, Kyrie Irving is kind of saying to Durant, I'm better than you. <laughs> Offensively. Offensively. I don't, I don't know. What? I mean, you think there may be a schism. I think those guys are just hoopers, man. They like to... Well, I don't believe in tough shot after tough shot, but they're a team that can take tough shots and still beat you. Maybe number one and number two good tough shot makers in the NBA on the same team. That's what makes them so weird. I love, I, I kind of love Who's this. number three? I mean, it used to be James Harden, but I mean, he's just, he's, he's aged 10 years in the last two years, so I don't know. I mean, they're one and two, and number three... It might be number six. DeMar DeRozan, maybe, or something like that, where it's... DeMar, oh, that's yeah. great. But, again... Lower volume. Those guys, every play, they can take a tough one and, and it feel good and, about you know, it. DeRozan can't make threes, as we're, right. as Kyrie can. And Kevin Durant now shooting from Steph Curry distance. I, do you have an appreciation for that aspect, though? Because here's the thing with Kyrie is I think he's mastered, like, honestly mastered that, that aspect of basketball. And he's... Everything about him we think about, obviously the off-the-court stuff, his own personal philosophies, these things. Like, let's put those in a box. But the other parts of basketball, just the, like, the, 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 the sacrifice or the teamwork or thinking, the game, all those things, maybe he's behind the curve on a guy that's that skilled. But can you just sit – are you one of these guys that can appreciate, hey, man, I know how hard it is to have that footwork, to master that? Because we all worked on it. Everybody that played basketball worked to perfect <clears throat> footwork. Can you appreciate it even if you don't appreciate the other aspects of his game? I can. I can. Uh, I mean, but I mean, Kyrie Irving would drive most coaches crazy, and, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and and then he's from Duke, so that would drive me crazy. <laughs> um, but can I? I mean, <clears throat> he's had big time games in the times he's played, and his shot, his shooting percentage is sixty percent. Right. I mean, he his shot. He, he takes tough shots. But he makes them. Yeah. And and as a coach, you gotta accept that. You got you gotta it's there's a, a hypocrisy because you can't let this guy shoot a tough shot, but you'll let him shoot a tough shot. Right. 
But I think he's earned that. I think he's earned that. Uh, let's take our first break. On the other side, I want to talk about Steph Curry's injury, uh, which is probably going to shape the uh, you know, the NBA playoffs, I think, a little bit. He might not be back until the playoffs. That really changes how powerful Golden State will be right out of the gate, I think. But first, our presenting sponsor today, as always, guys, for this show is DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. The teams have been selected. We're obviously day one of the biggest tournament of the year. There's only uh, a couple days left for you to get this great deal. Thursday, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers, you still got time, a shot to bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If they win, you win. $5. $200 in free bets. You can bet on Gonzaga. You can bet on almost any top seed. And you're going to, a number one seed, you're almost a lock to win that one. You can bet that one and you bet $5, you win $200. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on college hoops with same game parlay. So you're never out. Even if your bracket is busted, you can get in on that same game parlay, combine multiple bets, get a bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. $5 deposit minimum. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. So I asked around the, the edges about this to you about bringing back Jamal Murray and Michael Porter. I think Michael Porter is back next week. It's just my own hunch. It's just my that's just my hunch that I think he p- returns at some time Baloney, next week. Baloney, you got some inside information. <laughs> I think he comes back sometime next week. If if let's say he's back on Sunday, he's cleared to play. You're in charge. Where does he play? How many minutes does he play? Is he off the bench? What it, what it, how do you approach getting him back into the lineup? I think it's off the bench, uh, unless there's something going on that I'm not seeing. Um, I like the pace of the Denver Nuggets over the last two weeks, three weeks. They're playing a little faster. They're playing with flow a little more often. And they're playing away from Jokic a little bit more with confidence. Right, right. Um, So to mess with that, I would say no. As a coach, I would go to Michael and say, Michael, we got, we got 12 games left or 10 games left or eight games left. Uh, from this point now, we're going to bring you off the bench. We're going to try to get you a number, whatever that number the doctors want, 20, 25. Yeah. I don't think it's probably going to be more than 25. And then when the playoffs start, I'll come to you and tell you how I'm going to use you. Um, but right now, I think, I think you got to look at Michael Porter Jr. as a 25-minute player. And... If he busts out and shows that he deserves more, he gets more. Uh, because I think Murray's the guy I gotta. I think we gotta handle. If we're gonna get, if we're gonna, you know, throw the water out and put some more new water in, the guy I want to take a chance on is Murray and not Porter. Murray, what if you know? I think he might be a week or two behind that schedule. So you're now talking about there's 13 games left or 12 games left. Is there a cutoff date to where you say it's just too late? There's only four games left. You can't bring him back, or do you, there's no cutoff date? I, I would have no problem as a fan to accept that Jamal Murray, it's best right now that we go wait until next year. That would not, that would not affect me or offend me as a coach. Uh, he is that valuable to an organization. You know, he's a, a top three star on almost any team in the NBA. And that guy is very, very valuable. 
And if you if you can get him for five, seven more years along with Jokic, I think you're in a much better place. And and the team is playing well enough that I, I still think they could win the first round of the playoffs. Can they win it all without Murray? I'm having trouble saying that. Yeah, I don't. There's no way. I mean, but I, I, I do think they can make noise in the playoffs with the team they have. So let's say that he's back on Saturday, a week from this Saturday, so nine days away. Murray's back. There will be nine games left, eight, eight, nine games left, something like that. How would you handle his same thing off of the bench? We got a good thing going. Let's give you some bench minutes, or would you try to start him right away? I would ask Jokic what he would want. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You want Robin with you, or you want to kind of go with what we got? What do you think Jokic would say to that? Uh, it's a tough one. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Jokic is a team guy. I think he'd say, I, I need as much help as you Yeah, let's play him. Let's, I, I think he'd probably say, let's play together. Because they happens. were so good in the fourth quarter over the last couple of years. And getting that back in your back pocket in close games. Because they have not been great in close games. Right, right. Close games this Wait, year. Lately they have. They've had a good run over the last 10 or so. They have some close wins, some comeback. But on the season but they've been usually from, from ahead, not from behind. Gotcha. Um, how do you manage as a coach? When do you turn your attention? I th- I've asked you this before, and you said you start having your scouts prepare specifically for the teams you're most likely to play so denver's look probably looking at memphis they're probably looking at golden state they're probably looking at utah they're saying we're going to be somewhere in there your, your top three assistants probably got dallas utah dallas utah oh yeah memphis and golden state on there now too yeah that's tough you're you're pro- you know i i always assign guys that during the year scott used the scouts and and they're, they're watching those guys every night they play. And then you're putting a film package together over the last probably five or six games that you're going to present to the players. Um, I mean, there's a possibility that a couple of the matchups could have similarities to it. And so you might have one guy doing two teams. Mm. But uh, it's pretty... I don't think the fans understand how intense it gets. <laughs> the details, I imagine, for a playoff yeah. series, a regular season, you got details, you got scouting report, but you're working on your stealth. You're working on things. No, playoffs, you probably, I mean, what level, what's the most detailed thing that you think every team knows about the scouting report? I mean, guys likes to go left. Like, guy likes to step back or this or that, but. Well, they're going to be priorities of we don't allow this, mm. period. You know, we don't allow anybody, you know, play to the, one of their strengths. During a, during a regular season game, that, you might call time. I, you're letting them go left. You can't go right. Make right. them go right. Um, you know, and you yell and scream a little bit. But you make that mistake now, you get taken out of the game. <laughs> you know, we move to the next guy because you're obviously not focused right now. And so it gets really detailed. And then every game, it gets more detailed. And if you ever go seven against the same team, I mean, I'm not saying you know every play that's being run against you, but you probably are in the you're probably in the 75 or 80 percent of any play that's run. You kind of have a feel for. Yeah. 
Um, let me ask about Steph Curry's injury. He just went down last night. Marcus Morris kind of rolled up on him. By the way, Pat Beverly, Marcus Morris, great defenders, great intensity, but they just seem to always be rolling on guys' ankles. Ankles and knees. I think both. if you combine the number of guys those two guys have taken out, it's in the 20s, guys that have suffered ankle injuries on them. But it wasn't Marcus Morris. It was Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Mar- said Marcus Did I say Marcus Mar- Morris? I, said Marcus I meant Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Um, but his injury, the report from uh, Sham Sharania said that he's likely to be back for the playoffs. And I, re- I hear that and I go, likely back for the playoffs? My, my God, that sounds like a bad one. Golden State... They just got back together after a thousand days. Draymond Green proclaimed that they were going to win a championship. He's feeling it. They're whole. They're all feeling it. Steph Curry's not out. That's Denver's likeliest first round matchup at the moment. How do you think not having Steph back, or even if he is back, say one or two games before the playoffs, you're still talking about losing a rhythm, losing a chance to play with the big three. How does that affect their chances in a first round series? I like their matchup against Golden State. Denver's. I, I like more Golden State than than uh, than Memphis. Wow. In fact, Golden State might be ahead of Utah. You like them more than even playing Utah. So, d- to the most realistic scenarios for the Denver to play. The teams that scare me right now are Utah and Memphis. The schemes that don't scare me are Golden State and Dallas. Wow. Why? Dallas is too soft for me. Now they're they're getting more physical, but they're really soft. And I think we got. I thought Denver. I think Denver's got more skills. And now it's going to be fun to watch Jokic versus Doncic. That that'll be fantastic. Uh, Dinwiddie is obviously had a, a, a play there, and they they're getting better defensively than they were. But uh, I just don't trust Denver. I mean Dallas. I don't trust them. Uh, too many crazy shots. Too many. But they're 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 definitely a competitive playoff team. Uh, as for Utah, I think Utah right now feels confident against Denver. I think they won three out of four. This season, though, come on. Oh, now you're using that against me. <laughs> I'm just saying the games. Oh. I watched the games they played. Faku, they had guys out. I mean, come no on. No question. But how many games do we have on our schedule? I got 50. <laughs> uh, but most of the NBA this year has been games that uh, don't mean that much. My my thing is, I think Memphis is a dangerous team with a young star that wants to jump up, yeah, and be on a big time stage. I don't. I I think Denver can beat all of them, but I would say right now, I think Golden State is a little bit of uh, fool's gold a little bit on their shooting. They're, they're supposedly a great three-point shooting team, but at times they take a lot of bad three-point yeah. shots. But that's why I think this injury is so significant because they went 1,005 days where those three did not play together. They played one game together. Then Curry got hurt. They're going to go into the playoffs basically with one, two, maybe three games total under their belt in 1,000 days. That's three years. I just think like what you're talking about, I trust that if they had 30, 40 games together – those bad shots would probably turn into good ones. They just would find the rhythm that they used to have, and the bad shots would be limited. But that's why I think this injury is so significant. As I look at it and I go, that's not just a Curry's out for three or four weeks going into the playoffs. It's that big three 
just will not get to share the court together until the games really matter. And that's why I think it's a big... And that's why I feel a little bit of confidence if Denver were to match up with them. Well, the team we're watching in Golden State has only been together a very short period of time. Sure. And, okay, I'm a, I'm a pool guy. I think he's had a great year. But do I trust him to win a playoff game? No. Clay Thompson has had a couple good games. He's had a couple really go, Ugh. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure he's back yet. He's shooting like he was years ago, just not right. making them. Right. I'm going, that can become a draw. And Draymond has a way of pissing other guys off that could turn a, a John Morant into a star. Yeah. Well, John Morant's already a star. So, I mean, you're right that he's trying to break on. And the playoffs is where you really make a name for yourself. But to me, I don't have any questions about John Morant. Like I, there, I, I, I just gotta wait to see it play out. But I know he's that guy, so, so it'll arrive. Would you pick Denver to beat Golden State in a playoff series? If Curry is hurt, yeah, I think I would. Even if he's healthy, it's just coming back from injury. Because that's, I think, the situation you're looking at is, it's an ankle. Even if it's ninety-five percent good, it still affects a thirty-foot shot. Hey, I remember the history against Golden State. Two or three, two years ago, Golden State was playing with us. The last year and a half, we've been kind of, yeah, we've been focused into where they don't know how to beat us right now, and that's my feeling. I might be wrong, but they, who do they put? I mean, I know Draymond's going to cover Jokic, but I, I don't think that's 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 not going to stop Jokic. Is Jokic going to win the MVP? Do you think, not whether he deserves it, do you think he will win it? I think there's a, I'm in the conspiracy. I think the <laughs> league wants Embiid to be the MVP. <laughs> I love it. So you think he loses, but it, it goes to Embiid. But he deserves it. I mean, you obviously think he deserves it. Come on. How, how did a guy that won the MVP last year playing better in the team <laughs> being less a... Same record less, almost, yeah. Has less talent, but they're playing at a high level. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why we're even talking about it. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of times when Michael Jordan didn't get the, get the, didn't get the MVP. Right, right, right. I remember one year, Carl Malone got the MVP. And I said, John Stockton's the MVP <laughs> of the Utah Jazz. So Carl Malone got yeah. the MVP when John Stockton was the MVP of the Utah Jazz. I'm going, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there you go. Coach, another great episode. It's fun battling with you. I always learn something from our conversations, though. What you learn today? Uh, you know, sometimes I have to wait and see how it plays out. You say a thing, and I think, hey, he's wrong. And then three weeks go by, and I'm like, you know what? That was pretty interesting. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So, Well, I, I think the most important thing to say about these playoffs is what I said during the broadcast was, we're trying to figure it out now. But the truth is, the yeah, way yeah. we're going to figure it out when the playoffs start. There, I think that's there's no question about it. And that's part of what makes the NBA a little bit frustrating is the regular season doesn't matter for the big things. No, we're an exhibition season. We're, regular, in, we're in an 82-game exhibition season. The regular season starts here in about two weeks. And I hate that, and that's part of the reason that I want the MVP to be a meaningful thing is it's like, hey, who played well and carried the league during their money-making session, which was this 82-game stretch? It needs to matter, and if it doesn't, and we just give to the award to guys that didn't actually earn it just on reputation or this or that, then what do we have a regular season for anyway? So... We'll see what happens. Guys, hit that like button on the way out. Don't forget, this is also a podcast, the Keeping It 1000 podcast, and check out all the great things that they are doing over there with Truth and Media. Uh, thanks so much, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Happy Valentine's Day.